I forgot to introduce myself. My name is Rob Ogilvy, and I serve as the Executive Minister of the Canadian Baptists of Western Canada, for those of you who don't know who I am. And uh, so we hosted those gatherings on Wednesday night in Victoria, Thursday night in Vancouver, and then Friday was at uh, board meetings at Cary Theological College where we celebrated the beginning of construction of a new student residence where Cary will have the opportunity to house uh, another 80 or so students beyond the 40 that they already have. And so it was a, it was a full week and it was an exciting week. And uh, I was thinking about the fact of what I decided to, what had I decided to talk about when I was in the airport last night in Vancouver. And I'm going to talk about the, a particular line from one particular chorus. And Robin, you'll be glad to know I thought about saying, figuring out if there's a way that I could contact Robin and see if there's a way that we could use this song in the worship set. And I thought, no, 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 that's not fair to do that to somebody on that short a notice. So I didn't do that to you. And it's not, the song is not in the set today, but yet the theme has arisen in different ways already. And so I'm thankful for that. It was in the early days of COVID that um, I first heard a worship song that took me back to a Bible story that I had heard as a child. And uh, it was a reminder of the fact that no matter what happens in our lives, no matter what's going on in our world, that as people of faith, that we never have to go it alone. And the song is called Another in the Fire, that I'm sure you probably know where. So the first verse and chorus goes like this. No, I'm not going to sing it. I'm just going to read it to you. It goes like this. There's a grace when the heart is under fire, another way when the walls are closing in. And when I look at the space between where I used to be and this reckoning, I know I will never be alone. There was another in the fire standing next to me. There was another in the waters holding back the seas. And should I ever need reminding of how I've been set free? There's a cross that bears the burden where another died for me. There's several different stories from scripture that are referenced in this particular song and just in the short bit that I shared with you. But the line that I do want to focus on this morning is the line that says, there was another in the fire. You remember the story, right? If you grew up in church, if as a kid, you probably recall it as well. Somebody who's been reading your Bible for a long time. You know about these three men known as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Yeah, these guys know them. Yeah. Did you know that their real names are Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah? You knew that, see? Maybe I could just pass this off. <laughs> they were three young Jewish men. When Jerusalem was raided by King Nebuchadnezzar, they were taken from their own land, their homeland to Babylon. And they were chosen, we're told, according to the scriptures, they were chosen for the following reasons. They were of nobility. They were handsome. They were quick to understand well-informed, and they showed an aptitude for every kind of learning. That was a pretty good character reference, really, for these guys. And it was for these reasons that they were brought in to serve in the king's palace. 
And you may recall as well that these men were God-fearing men. And when the command was given that all the people of the land must bow down to a gold statue of King Nebuchadnezzar, they refused. And some of the people who weren't happy that these Jewish men had been given such important jobs in their land, they were pretty quick to tell the king of the refusal of these guys to bow down to him. And that's where we're going to pick up the story this morning. And my apologies, I also was a little last minute, so it's not on the screen. You'll probably recall the story, if you want to follow along in your Bibles, it's in Daniel chapter 3, starting at verse 13 that we're reading from. Furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these men were brought before the king, and Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold that I have set up? Now, when you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music, if you're ready to fall down and worship the image I made, then very good. But if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Then what God will be able to rescue from you from my hand? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we're thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold that you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar was furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and his attitude toward them had changed. He had given them a second chance, but now his attitude toward them changed. He ordered the furnace heated seven times hotter than usual, and he commanded some of the strongest soldiers in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. So these men, wearing their robes, trousers, turbans, and other clothes, were bound and thrown into the blazing furnace. The king's command was so urgent the furnace, and, and the furnace so hot that the flames of the fire killed the soldiers who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, firmly tied, fell into the blazing furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar leapt to his feet in amazement and asked his advisors, weren't there three that we tied up and threw into the fire? They replied, certainly, your majesty. He said, look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed, and the fourth looks like a son of the gods. Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening of the blazing furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire, and the satraps, prefects, governors, and royal advisors crowded around them. They saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor was a hair of their heads singed. Their robes were not scorched, and there was no smell of fire on them. The word of the Lord. So as a kid, this was always a very vivid and dramatic Bible story, I think, that, that when you first heard it, you never forgot it. It had a mean king, brave men, a fiery furnace, and a miracle that happened that was so profound that not only did these men not die, but their clothes and their hair wasn't even singed. They didn't even smell of smoke or fire. And as someone now who is much older and has experienced life a lot more 
I got to say, I'm still amazed by this story for a couple of reasons. The first is because of the faith and the courage shown by these three men. Not only did they not bow down to the statue of the king at the appropriate, when the appropriate music was sounded, but even when others squealed on them and they were brought to stand right in front of the most powerful man in the whole kingdom, who did have that spot, soft spot for them and did try to give them a second chance, but even right there to his face, they still refused to bow down to him. And not only did they just refuse to bow down to him, they also fearlessly told him that they were not afraid because they knew that their God could protect them. It's a pretty powerful example of faith in the face of a life and death situation. And it wasn't just, it wasn't a blind faith. It wasn't that they were given a heads up beforehand that we're told of anyway, that, that God said to them in a vision, don't worry, because I'm going to protect you when it comes to this. Or, or it wasn't just that they were sort of hopeful about this. They earnestly believed that God would deliver them and protect them. And then there's that next line. As men of faith, they also understood what it really meant to put their trust in God, no matter what. And they said to this powerful ruler, right to his face, even if our God doesn't protect us, even if it means that we will die, we would rather die than turn away from God by bowing down to you and your gold statue. It's a powerful example of faith. Faith that was not dependent on an outcome that went in their favor. Rather, faith that was grounded so deeply that it didn't waver, even when they knew that it could cost them their lives. And secondly, along with the aspect of faith comes that miracle. There was another in the fire, standing next to them. God himself or, or one of his angels met them, kept them, protected them in the midst of this furnace that was so hot that, that the people who had thrown them in lost their lives because they had gotten so close to the flames. How in the world could they survive something like this? Well, actually, the answer is there's no way in this world that they could survive something like this. It can only be answered supernaturally through God's intervention. I thought I'd share this story with you today because I have no doubt that each and every person here is in the fire in one way or another. It may not be that you're being called to take such a definitive stance about your faith right at this particular moment, but no matter what it is that you might be facing, the promise of knowing, the promise of believing that God is with you, no matter what it is that you are going through, gives us hope. And it gives us a peace that can surpass all other understanding. When I was in Vancouver, I met with a retired pastor by the name of Norman Archer. Some of you might recall that name. Norman Archer is well into his 80s. I think he's probably closer to 90. 
And Norman's wife, Mary, died just a few weeks ago. And when I sat down to visit with him, I asked him how he was. And he said, I'm good. He said, for the first two days after Mary died, I was really bad. I felt terrible. I felt lonely. I felt guilty that I hadn't done more for her. He says, and then something changed. And God spoke to me and said, Mary is where I want her to be. Mary is in the right place. And he says, I still miss her. Don't misunderstand me. I still miss her. But I'm no longer sad. It's a powerful example of the hope that we can live with that I'm not sure I grasped that far yet. I want to, I really do. A couple of years ago, I was diagnosed with prostate cancer. It wasn't until this year that I don't think I ever used the word prostate in a sermon before. And <laughs> some of you are already starting to squirm, I know, but um, you're gonna hear it a couple more times, so just, you know, be aware. But it was a couple of years ago I was diagnosed with prostate cancer, and at that time it was decided that uh, they would just keep an eye on it and see how it progressed. Last year, I had further tests, and in November of last year, I met with a surgeon who explained that the cancer had progressed, and that even though it wasn't an aggressive type, he would recommend that I have my prostate removed. And uh, then he told me that he had a six to nine month waiting list uh, for, for the surgery. Thankfully, he was saying it's not aggressive, but it's also a six to nine month wait. So that was in November. Bonnie and I had been kicking around the idea of me taking a, a one month sabbatical at the early part of 2023. Um, and when we got this news, that sort of solidified it. Yes, we're gonna take that time off at the beginning of 2023. And uh, we went on a trip and we ended up spending three and a half weeks in the Philippines with some, some extended family members. And we had a great time. And I'm gonna tell you something now that's probably the key thing that you are all going to take away from this message. And you'll remember throughout the week and, and perhaps even weeks to come. But did you know that in the Philippines, they have Tim Hortons? <laughs> oh, I got an amen, look at that, look at that. It's true. And you'll remember that. You'll take it with you. It'll come up in conversation. It will. But about a week after we returned from our trip, I received a call from a different surgeon. Uh, his office called to say that they had three dates within the next month that I could be fit into for surgery if it worked for me. And so on March the 15th of this particular year, I had surgery, uh, which I must admit that when I go through something like this, where you have absolutely no control and you have to completely give yourself over to the care and well-being of other people. I sort of feel this way every time the plane takes off as well that I'm on. My prayer life soars to new heights when that happens. I don't know about you, but it does for me. Some people are very private and shy about these things and they, and they don't really spread the word. They wouldn't tell a lot of other people. 
And, and I know that theologically, the number of people praying for something isn't how God makes his decision about how things will turn out. But I spread the word far and wide. I asked people to pray for me. And many of you who are here prayed for me as well. And I'm very thankful for your prayers. And I know that people prayed for me, not just because they told me they did, and not because of the outcome or the result. But I know they did because of the peace that I felt throughout the entire process. I knew I wasn't alone in the fire. And I'm really thankful to report that my recovery has gone incredibly well and that my pathology report came back and there's no sign of cancer in my lymph nodes and they believe that by removing my prostate, last time I'll use the word, <laughs> I'm cancer free. Fires come in all different shapes and sizes. Some are incredibly intense, like the fiery furnace. Some are just small day-to-day -day challenges. A while back, I led a funeral for an extended family member who in his late 20s took his own life. He went out onto the ocean one night on a paddleboard and didn't return. And from all the evidence gathered by the police, they determined that it was not an accident, his not returning. As you can only imagine, that family has felt like they have been in the fire ever since that moment that they got word that he was missing. Two years ago this week, I had never led, I've been around for a while too, but I had never led a funeral for someone who had taken their own life, thankfully. I'd never had to. And I wrestled profoundly to find something meaningful to say. And I ended up using these words from Psalm 139 in the message that I gave at the memorial. And it reads this way, verses 7 to 10 in Psalm 139. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. My hope in using that particular text was to try to reassure the parents of this young man that even in his final moments of life, even though he did not survive, that he was not alone, but that God was with him. At 11.30 last night, uh, we became grandparents again. So great. Violet Jane was born. Seven pounds, six ounces. Not that we have all the details yet, but, you know, and I can show you pictures later. What's kind of cool is uh, uh, our daughter who gave birth 
lives in Edmonton. Uh, we have two daughters. Our other daughter and her husband live here and, and their kids. And um, they had gone to Edmonton yesterday morning and were able to be there. And our daughter who lives here is a physician who also delivers babies. And so she was in the delivery room with her sister um, when uh, Violet was born. So that's pretty cool. Going back to my surgery for a second, and then I won't say the word. <laughs> but our daughter who works here and, and works obstetrics uh, booked herself to work a night shift the first night that I was going to be in hospital after my surgery, and uh, which was very kind of her. And she came and she visited with me then around supper time. And um, then she said she'd check in on me. And then I didn't see her again until breakfast the next morning. And so when she came for breakfast the next morning, I said, well, thinking, you know, you didn't really show up. Uh, <laughs> Must have been a busy night for you. And she said, yeah, it was. And then she said, but I did watch you sleep for a while around 3 a.m. I didn't know she had been there. But she had. That's the picture of God watching over us even when we don't know that he's there. And I know it's a matter of faith, but what a gift it is that we are given by being invited to believe in God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And as Hebrews chapter 11, the first couple of verses reminds us that faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. We might not always see the angel of God like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did, walking around in the fiery furnace with them. But it's by faith that we believe that he is there in the fires of life that we find ourselves in. We do not have to go it alone. And those fires might be financial as you deal with debt or rising inflation pressures or marriage where your relationship is breaking down and you're starting to wonder if it'll survive or health or jobs or you fill in the blank. I'm sure you're already thinking about the fires that you yourself are facing today. One of the fires that I find myself in these days and I must admit now for about five or six years, is helping to steer our association of churches in a common direction while living in a day and a time when division seems to be so prevalent. So much of our energy is focused on our differences that we're being distracted from our mission. A little side note. I was in this Cary Theological College board meeting yesterday talking about construction. Some of you here will know what this is. I had never heard of this before, but I thought it was pretty cool. When the project, uh, uh, the, the head person of the project said, the one other thing that we spent some dollars on 
before the hole was dug and we started to actually build was clash detection software. And I thought, clash detection software? He said, yeah, we spent $35,000 on it. And I thought, $35,000. And I said, what's clash detection software? And he said, well, the way it works is that they put all the plans, all the mechanical, the electrical, everything that goes into a building through software that um, before you even start building the building, detects where there will be clashes, where you have a pipe that you want to go through here, but actually there's a concrete wall in that spot and the pipe can't go through there. And often what happens in a building project is that and, and others of you are much more experienced than I in this, so, so this is what my understanding of it though, is that if you get to that point in a building project, all of a sudden you stop, and there's probably some rework that has to be done, there's redesigning, you have to go back to the architect, you have to go back to the engineers and the various people who are involved, and it takes time and it costs money to do that. And so this clash detection software helps to forecast basically where you're going to have problems or challenges. And I said to the guy, man, I could use that in my work as well. <laughs> Just think of it in all of your own applications, right? Wouldn't you love to have that and you know what's coming down the road? You could prepare for it ahead of time and actually be ready. Much of our energy throughout the CBWC has been focused on our differences and we've been distracted from our mission. And that's why some of you are aware I've been on the road a lot this last little while, trying to encourage us to get back to our mission. And part of our mission is to remind one another over and over again that no matter what it is that we might be facing, no matter what challenges we might find ourselves in, no matter how much pain it is that we are going through, that there is another in the fire. And that other is God himself wanting to reassure you that you do not have to go it alone. Whatever the fire is that you are facing right now, know that you are not alone. And that there are people here, there are people around you who wish to stand with you to get through this with you together. And all the while trusting that God walks with you each step of the way. There was another in the fire standing next to me. There was another in the water holding back the seas. And should I ever need reminding of how I've been set free? There's a cross that bears the burden where another died for me. May the peace and the hope of God be with you all. No matter what fire, you may find yourself in today or down the road. Amen? Yeah. Amen.